Today, our guest is Jordan Natai, a pro basketball player, starting small forward on the New Zealand Tall Blacks, one-time Australian NBL champion, and four-time NZ NBL champion, who recently just came back from the FIBA World Cup representing his country. We met through Entourage, the basketball collective in Singapore, where I have been a regular. Shout out to Dave and Chi for making this possible and making the introduction. I've had a diverse set of podcast guests so far. However, you're the first pro athlete. So on that note, uh, I have a lot of questions on the career development and just all dimensions of uh, being an athlete. But first, why don't we start by going to your background and going back to your childhood and give us an idea of how did you first fall in love with the game, your first encounter with basketball? Did you come from a perhaps a very tall and sporty family? So first and foremost, thank you for having me on the podcast. Um, but yes, yeah, so back in when I was a child, um, I played rugby. Started playing rugby. Lived in Australia for for my younger childhood years because um, mum mum got job offer over in Australia, so ended up moving over there. Um, played rugby league a lot in Australia, and then. When moved back to New Zealand, um, a lot of my family and our and New Zealand as a country, rugby union is our number one sport. Like one of the most successful sports teams in the world is the All Blacks, with like a crazy success rate. So I always had dreams of being an All Black, like playing rugby, running out on the rugby field and putting on the black jersey. Um, that all changed when I got to when I got to high school. Um, I went to Mana College, which is probably literally two minute walk from my house. Um, and that's where my basketball kind of started. The love for it started, I would say. Um, just, it was just like an ordinary, ordinary experience to start with. Like, got asked if I wanted to join, didn't know much, didn't know how to play, didn't know how to shoot a ball, do a layup. Um, all I was was I was just this big, tall, at that time, kind of chubby fat guy. <laughs> How old um, were you back then? Uh, I was thirteen. Okay. Twelve or thirteen? Yeah, about twelve or thirteen. And yeah, I was just I was always bigger than everyone else. So it's kind of the reason why I stuck with rugby. But it was also like before before I got to high school, rugby just be- started feeling more like a chore or a job, and my love for the game started falling away from it. Um, but then my love for basketball, that's how that whole that's how that whole thing started was it was a new challenge to me because I wasn't the most skillful player, I wasn't the best player. Um, and so I knew that if I was gonna start this basketball journey, this basketball career, um, I was gonna have to work harder than everyone else to kinda just even get to be able to just to even get to where they are. Mm. Like I had to work harder than everyone. Um were the other kids uh, ahead of you at the time? Were they playing oh, basketball? Yeah, since like they were kids. Yeah, for sure. Like those, like a lot of them, uh, family to me. Like a lot of them were cousins, um, mm. and even my uncle was the coach at the time. So their whole family, when they were young, that's that's what they knew. They grew up playing basketball from from when they were born. Whereas for me, it was rugby. Um, but they were always there, willing to help me no matter what to try and make sure that. I, I enjoyed the game. I loved it. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how it all started. Was just I fa- I didn't love love rugby as I did when I was a kid, and then basketball kind of 
flipped the flipped the switch and that's how that's how I started loving basketball. It was just it was just another new challenge for me. Yeah. Yeah. What what position were you at first in basketball? Uh I was probably like a a gumpy center slash yeah. power forward. Um, like I said, I was always the biggest and chubbiest yeah. on my team. Um so I automatically yeah. got the center spot. That's what I thought too, because <laughs> a lot of the tall guys that made it eventually when they were younger, they're always taller than their peers. Yeah. So they were put into four and five positions and they never got a chance to master the yeah. guard skills which would have helped them later on because that's what they needed yeah. to play at the pro level but not the the center skills i think you can pick it up later right yeah for sure i mean it didn't help that i also couldn't dribble a ball either so <laughs> i probably wouldn't have been the best of best of guards but um yeah i started off at the center position um I still this day i still remember like the first shot i made which was a, a right hand jump hook and from that day on when i seen that ball go through the hoop i was like this is going to be my my shot like making uh-huh. sure that was the number one the right hand jump hook so um that became uh, heavily scouted um so every time i got the ball it was always i'm just going to turn into a right hand jump hook um but then as as my love for the game started growing my skills started developing my coordination started mm-hmm. developing even better like i was able to do a right hand layup a left hand layup um with the right footwork and so um but that did come down to a lot of hard work early mornings um a lot of a lot of players that i i did a lot of one-on-ones against my teammates my cousins um but yeah are you a lefty in life no i'm a righty but you're a lefty on the basketball lefty court lefty on the basketball court so uh, i call it weird i'm a, i'm i'm a bit weird so like when i was younger i used to write left hand um and i wasn't always the the best of kids like i got into a lot of trouble and back then when you got into trouble you you um you had to write lines they make you say oh teachers say oh you got to write 100 lines of this one sentence or 200 or whatever yeah and so one day um I, I was I was doing lines and I think it might have been like 500 600 lines and my hand just started cramping like I ended up getting like the pen or pencil dent marks in my fingers just because I was just like writing the whole time and, you know yeah. I was like you know what I don't care how night how neat this writing is going to be I'm just going to switch switch the pen to my right hand yeah. and from then on I just started writing right hand for the rest of my life okay so you were born with the left hand yeah well, I I, I assume so. Yeah, I just used to write left hand. I mean, I never had neat handwriting in the first place, <laughs> but yeah, I just used to write left hand, and then yeah. But now you write on, with the right hand. Now I write with my ever right since. hand. Yeah, ever since that moment. So, I mean, I guess yeah. writing lines kind of helped me a little bit. I guess ambidextrous in a, in a way. Yeah. So yeah, and that helps on your basketball courts. Too, it does. I imagine it does because a lot of people think because he shoots left, he wants to go left and all this, but. Yeah. preferably i like going right can go left but preferably right yeah but yeah okay so um so you were playing center at the time when you're starting out um high school yeah and then um at what point did you think that that was going to be a career did they come during that time or something um, a bit later probably a bit later i would say like because again i was still bigger than everyone else and new zealand wasn't known for its height so even when i started making junior national teams and um moving up in in ages and age groups and all that i was still 
semi bigger than everyone or I was still kind of similar height it just helped that I was a bit stronger as well than most of the taller taller guys um, so it wasn't I would say it wasn't until my first um, national team camp which was probably about when I was 18 I think yeah, about 18 when I first got selected to attend the national team trial mm. and the head coach at the time his name was Ninad Vucinic yeah Ninad anyway we call him Ninad um, he he was like well at this height you're not going to be able to play centre mm. and power forward because you're going up against guys that are 7 foot mm. so he was like I'm going to put you in with the 2s and 3s and basically threw me in the deep end and said here go learn how to play the 2-3 guard and let your skills kind of kind of figure out how you fit and the first the first training we had it was a disaster like I said I was still trying to figure out how to dribble and all that stuff so like going behind the back doing these crossovers using a non-ball it wasn't the best of scenes um, but I didn't make the team and that was probably for the better um, and honestly that was probably the best best lesson I learned one of the best lessons I learned from a standpoint of if I want to keep progressing in this career um, I can't be playing a four and a five mm. and um, so that got me back in the gym and just working on guard stuff and mm. it started from basics from doing two ball dribbles um, just making simple passes dribbling at high speed at game speed making the right passes dribbling at game speed pull-ups um, doing euro steps and just making sure that if I did get put in that situation again I was ready for it mm. but then also not forgetting that I did play the four and the five most times not forget and still working on that skill set as well because if I get if I get to higher age group levels or I get to my own age group level again I'm still playing against these smaller guys to mm. where if I'm if I got a slower guy with me I can use my guard skills if I got a bigger guy, if I got a if I got a smaller guy on me, I can go to the post and work it that way. So that's kind of how I started thinking the game, and that's where a bit of my versatility came in as well. And how yeah. were you selected to try out for the national team in the first place? Were you quite an outstanding player? Um, yes and no. Like uh, at the time, I was with the Wellington Saints, and at that time we the had junior team. No, it was a it was the New Zealand NBL team. Okay. Um, and at that time, I was I was training with them. They they're a wonderful organization club, um, and I was with them in high school, and I was training with them. And the head coach at the time, his name's Piero Cameron, who was also our New Zealand Tall Blacks head coach mm. to this day. He was the head coach of the Wellington Saints, but also a former player for the New Zealand national team, and. He was one of the assistants as well at the time, and he kind of gave me an opportunity. He seen all the hard work I was putting in, um, seen that there that I could make a good career out of it, mm. and so um, he kind of put my name forward, and then my name got selected in the shortlist, and that's kind of how it all started. Mm. So, so those professional teams they had relationships with the local high schools. That's where they sourced the yeah. Um, well, because New Zealand, New Zealand is not the biggest basketball country. Like it's a small world basketball. Right. Like the whole basketball community is pretty small. But then you narrow it down to New Zealand, it gets even smaller. Mm. So everyone knows everyone. Um, coaches know no other players that talk to other coaches. That players talk 
talk to other players about coaches so you get kind of reputations for everyone and um that's just a relationship I created when I was younger with with one of the coaches and with a couple of the coaches actually that's why I was able to like kind of still be part of the Tall Blacks program from mm. the relationships that I created when I was younger mm. so if we fast forward um you graduate from high school when was the first time you got selected to play on the national team uh it was when I was 19 so I just got back um just got back from junior college in the states okay and um i didn't end up playing the new zealand nbl competition that year because i arrived back too late mm. but um yeah ended up getting the trial and didn't make the team at first but one of the point guards had gotten injured and i was one of the injury replacements for if something did happen so ended up getting the call up on my way to china meet with the team in China and I think it was probably like four days after my selection we ended up playing the China national team and was so, that a friendly game or? yeah it was like a, it was like a tournament so mm. they had a tournament going on um so that happened but um our biggest build-up for that was um to play Australia because mm. for we would always play Australia in a three-game series to see who would go to the to see who would go to the world uh to the olympics mm. so that's how that's how that all started but yeah made the team when i was 19 first game was against china and did i mean decent for a debutant i guess a couple points couple rebounds but nothing too spectacular mm. um but yeah how was how was the year you spent in the states before then it was good. It was really good. Like I always had a when I first started playing basketball, I would always hear um, my cousins, my teammates talk about going to the states. There, mm. there was a couple people from where I'm from. They they've gone to the they've been to the states as well, and they would have good compliments about it and all that. So it was always something I wanted to do. And then on top of that, it was just to get a free education as well. Right. Um, and so ended up going to Sierra College my first year, which was a junior college in Sacramento. Mm. And then my second year, I went to BYU-Hawaii, which was a Division Two school. Pretty pretty high for a Division Two as well, like pretty good rank. Um, so but how, yeah. how did you get these uh, basketball scholarship opportunities from uh, overseas? Did they come to recruit or did you hear it from, as you said, from your cousins, right? Yeah. But why these specific schools? Uh, it goes back to the coaches and just like coaches knowing because at the end of the day the coaches have been around for a longer period of time than most of the players that are going to the states anyway so they've built relationships from when they were probably past players and they have a good reputation with the coaches that are overseas or um, to this day it's easier now because you can just chuck a video on Instagram or YouTube or something and coaches will just be looking at that and they see that Um, but back then I had actually gone on a tournament we had a tournament in Hawaii mm. and it was against BYU-Hawaii. It was hosted. They were hosting the tournament at that time. And so I didn't know nothing about BYU-Hawaii. Um, just the fact that we were playing in Hawaii, that was the only thing I knew. Um, but ended up we ended up playing Charminard, Charminard College and um, had a good game against them. I think like, oh, it was like 20-something and 11 or something like that that's when they noticed you and <laughs> yeah so I was playing the four at the time as well 
Oh. Yeah. So I was playing the four at the time. Um, but yeah, ended up having a good game against them straight after the game. The assistant coach of BYU Hawaii, he had um, come down to me after the game and said, oh, we want to have a meeting with you and what, and your coach is just to see you what what it all what to get your thoughts on if you wanted to get a scholarship here mm. so the next day we go and have a meeting and we just got chatting i didn't commit or anything on that day because i wasn't with my family i wanted to go back and make a decision with them and and he was like yeah fair enough like take take a month or so to to figure out what you want to do but that's kind of how i got my shot was just actually going over there and having eyes on me playing a game Whereas right. it's different experience. Like now, back in New Zealand, to at this time right now, it's uh, New Zealand High School Secondary Nationals. Mm. So it's all the best schools in New Zealand attending this one tournament. Mm. And now they have coaches from the states. Like they have some of them, like University of Miami, St. Mary's, all big time schools come to New Zealand to watch this tournament. Mm. And so it was different times at different places compared to when I was when I was there, it was like I had to go to them, whereas now they're coming here because it's more accessible in a way. Yeah, basketball has definitely become more global these days. Uh, but back then when you first you know, stepped foot on, on the U.S. soil in the gym, did you feel any uh, culture shock, but more specifically the way they taught you or trained you versus back home in New Zealand? Um, it, I feel like it was a bit of a culture shock because it, it is a lot of up and down. Like they they play at a very fast pace. Um, our coach was kind of crazy as well when I when I first got to junior college. Um, a lot of the people prior to me leaving to go to the states, they were like, "You might have some crazy coaches. Just be ready." And I was like, "Oh yeah, whatever." Blah blah blah. And then uh, I was like, "This my head coach is crazy," but he was crazy in a good sense for me because he helped me tremendously. Like that was probably the best conditioned player I've ever been in my life. But we ran for the most stupidest stuff. Like, his his rule, so we had morning practices and if you were tired and you yawned and you didn't cover your mouth, on the line we're running. So every time you yawned, you had to cover your mouth. If you didn't, on the line, run. Um, if you didn't look him, if he was talking to you and you didn't look him in the eyes or you were looking around, on the line, we're running. Uh, talk back, run. If uh, you're late to class, you're running. Like, it was so much things that were piling up to where some days you were just like, oh, this guy's in a bad mood. We're just going to be running for this whole practice. But the way we wanted to play as that team, it was perfect because we were the fastest-paced team in the conference. And you could tell. we didn't, we when, when other teams were getting tired, we were just getting ready to keep going faster. So he was crazy, but it was good for us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think every coach would have their little quirks, at their ways to get you, yeah, to kind of push you to your edges. Yeah. He definitely, he definitely pushed us to our edges, like right. to some to some point where some guys even just didn't come to them because they just couldn't handle it. And yeah. fair enough, like if you weren't built for it, then or if you weren't ready for that, then yeah, I guess you made a right decision because it would have been a very long season if you couldn't handle the way he was coaching. Right. Yeah. So as the the new kit on the block, how did you navigate the new team and and find your role? At first I thought it was hard. I thought it was going to be hard cuz 
I hadn't lived anywhere by myself before, and mm. I'm going to Sacramento. But the perfect thing was it was it was an English speaking country, so it was fine. Like at least I can communicate that way. But I was also in a better in a good position because there was another teammate there, and he was from Greece, mm. and so his English was all right. Mm. But me and him became really good friends because we were both the international students on the team, mm. and so we ended up rooming together. And we got a good relationship there, good good friendship there, and we kind of helped each other through the season. Um, but it was very difficult because I was I am a big family person, mm. but um, the the team, the players, the coaches, they all made sure that I was happy because they were my family away from my actual family in New Zealand. Right. Like for Christmas, they would invite us over. Like we had players that would invite us over to over to their house to make it feel like family orientated family family Christmases and all that so um, no it was awesome it was a good transition because I had good teammates and good coaches how about the second year <laughs> at, at BYU uh, uh, I think BYU is even easier because it is a Polynesian culture and mm. um, New Zealand is a Polynesian country as well we are Maori people um, I do have family over there as well so that kind of made it a bit made it even easier um so yeah i don't i don't think i don't think byu was that hard to adjust to compared to sacramento where i didn't know a lot of people in sacramento whereas and plus you think about flights so from new zealand to hawaii it's eight hour flight if you go from new zealand to la i think it's like 12 12 hours so yeah it was still it was still better i mean it was only a four hour difference but um, Hawaii was definitely an easier transition, yeah. Because I even 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 more so because I experienced that year at Sacramento as well. Right. Because I got I had like dipped my toes into into American basketball in a way. Yeah. Um, Were you recruited by BYU Hawaii? Yeah. At the time? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so even when I was at Sacramento in, at my junior college, they kind of helped me out. Like BYU Hawaii, like the assistant at BYU Hawaii helped me out when I was at junior college, like mm. um, he would always be texting and talking, just making sure that I'm doing what I need to do to get better, not only on the court, but off the court to get my grades and all that. So, so at so, the time, yeah. what position were you? I played four. I played still four. four. Yeah, still four. Um, but just because our team at BYU Hawaii, we were so heavily guard stacked, we didn't have a lot of forwards. Mm. So I was still playing the four, but, working working as a working out as a three or a right. guard um when i was at sierra college in sacramento i was like a f- i was strictly a four um so so yeah what are the uh responsibilities for a four on a team like that um guard heavy fast-paced yeah so with the sec with with my team in sacramento i was probably one of the the vocal points from a standpoint of like we had our we had our point guard and he was about he was our point guard was about six four, six five. He was kinda he was like close to a triple double, averaging a triple double in a sense. So he ended up going to Eastern Washington. Mm. And then so me and him were about the same height. But me and him were kinda like the vocal points of like the game on like who who's gonna have a good game type thing. Um but I think my role in that team was just to be a dominant dominant player on the block 
be mm. tough, physical, uh, be a post presence when needed. Um, both ends of the floor. Yeah, both ends of the floor. Like, I still played against bigger guys, taller guys. Yeah. But I felt like I was stronger than most of them anyway. So that was also, that was good to see. Um, but then also, when I did have those bigger guys on me, I did have in my game the pick and pop. So mm. I could pick and pop and shoot. So yeah. it kind of worked in my favor that it goes back to when I was younger. If I had a smaller guy on me, I'll just take him to the block. Right. Have a bigger guy on me, I'll probably be sitting mostly on balls and handoffs and just getting ready for pick and pop situations. So that's kind of how I how I looked at it. And yeah. if we did go the small lineup, I was usually the biggest guy. So I end up playing the center sometimes. And yeah. Yeah. When I played in high school for a Canadian high school team, I was also four. But my role were uh, purely being a a blue collar player yep. <laughs> doing the screens, the dirty work, rebounds, box out, uh, taking the charge. And I'll be so proud after taking two charges in the game. And I feel that's my role fulfilled. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, see, like, when we like, we did this one draw at Sacramento where to start the practice off, like, after you've done your warm up, your stretching and all that, we do this drill to start basically every practice. So it was you're on the court by yourself, one guy at the wing. And he'll just go from his wing and you'll be in the charge circle. You have to step out of the charge circle and take a charge. But the guy running, he'll just run full speed at you, yeah. knock you over. If he if you if the guy running just do a like little light jog and just like kinda tap you and you fall over, coach say, not nah, get up. Run through him like you're about to tackle him type thing. So you're still playing rugby. <laughs> yeah. So in that sense. That was I, I haven't I don't think I've taken a charge to this day to where someone's hit me and I've fallen over. Yeah. So when I got there, my first time doing this drill, and he wouldn't make everyone do it, but it'll be like the he wouldn't want the same guys doing the drill every single day. So there'll be about he'll probably let about six or seven guys go. And the first time that I did it, the guy was running at me, and I stepped out, tried to take it, and the first time the guy was kind of small, and he just goes like that, and, fall, <laughs> and he falls over. The second time he goes and he runs at me, and I just kind of like stumble back. And the coach was like, you got to fall. Like, I was like, coach, I just can't fall. Like, I don't know what it is. And so he's like, here, I don't care. Stand your stance. Like, try it. Just just absorb the hit and just fall. I was like, all right. Because if you don't fall, that's that's not a usual. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not. They won't usually call it. It'll just yeah. be like a no call. Um, so the third time, the guy runs at me full speed and he just, like, hits me. <laughs> I get kind of winded. But, like, I was just like, okay, I'm just going to fall over. And I just do this, like lazy flop type fall over and then once you've done the charge you have to get up he'll roll the ball out you have to get up dive on the loose ball wow and then the other coach will be there and he'll be having you with a pad like the the soft pads yeah. and so you're great after you dive on the ball pick it up and you got to try and score and this coach is just pushing you all around like no matter what and you got to try and score the layup yeah. While he's doing all this to you, he'll be holding you, pushing you, and then once you've scored your layup, you just take a full court sprint and then you're done. Oh, and that will be the start of the practice. <laughs> so that was like one of my first encounters, and I was like, "What have I got myself into?" Type thing. Yeah, but it did prepare me mentally to be tough, um, and also physically. Like, like you said, you are the blue collar person, the dirty guy, the one that takes charges, rebounds. Off do all the yeah, do all the, the stuff that no one wanted to do, right? And all the things that fans don't usually yeah, notice, right? Yeah, and our coach was different. He wanted everyone to see us do that 
do that. So if we weren't doing that, if we didn't dive on a loose ball, if we didn't take a charge when it was there, when the opportunity arose, yeah. then he would get on us harder than us actually getting the layup or us right. just getting the steal because if you can create your 12 players to be blue-collar workers but still have the talent and the skills to do the other stuff, then you've got a pretty great player. And that's how he kind of yeah. recruited to get his players to higher colleges in a right. sense. So... So yeah, that's that's that was massive. Yeah, a lot of it's it's mental, right? Like r- running down the court, uh, chasing down the defense. Yeah. yeah. So that was during college. Yeah, that was that was during the college, the the my my year at Sacramento, and then yeah. BYU. We never did we never did any of that stuff that we did at Sacramento, BYU, Hawaii. So Hawaii was a lot of fitness and well structured type things, but but yeah. And how how were the uh, the records when you played it in the NCAA? Uh, I think the year at BYU Hawaii, we didn't have a good year there. We did have uh, did have a bit of injuries. Like um, we played University of Hawaii, and mm-hmm. our starting four man had in a preseason game. Our starting four man uh, towards MCL and ACL the very Ooh. first game the whole season. So he was out for the season. He was done. Um, so then that kind of, I ended up getting moved to the starting four spot. And then in our conference, we were actually solid. Like we, we were actually doing pretty good. Um, but then we didn't make the tournament. Um, so that kind of, that kind of hurt, but, but it was, it was another good learning experience. Mm. And I think, uh, after that it was due to, uh, eligibility yep. issues. You came back to New Zealand to play in the, uh, NZ uh, NBL. Yeah, so NCAA have all their rules and yeah. requirements to play. Um, my following year, it didn't didn't work out. I wasn't eligible enough now to yeah. do that. And I had known that previously from the from the start of the BYU Hawaii season. Like they had given me notice, and we were through the whole season. We were trying to fight it and trying to get lawyers in and all the stuff, but it just didn't work out in the end. So ended up starting my my pro career I guess with mm. the with the Wellington Saints um, went back and then ended up winning a championship with the Wellington Saints that year mm. and so it was a good experience because I went from playing against guys semi my own age to grown men that do this for a living now Yeah, and so that mindset kind of switched up was like well if I want to make a career out of this I won't have to go against grown men like they don't care how old you are they don't <laughs> yeah. care about this and that Right now, they're they're kind of providing for their family and yeah. trying to beat you out of a job in a sense. Like this is what they do. They have to. It was like a killer mentality. Like they have to make sure that every time they step on the court, they're bringing it because then if they don't, that could be their opportunity lost at another job, at another way to provide for their family. So yeah, it was a different mindset. Yeah, how did it feel to? being able to not worry about grades and focus purely on basketball? Uh, it was a relief. It was definitely a relief. Like, I wake up I woke up in the morning and I was like, I don't got a 9 a.m. class or something I have to go to or a lecture I have to go to. I can just go straight to the straight to the court, do my workout, go to the gym, do my workout, go back home, have some lunch, see family, and then go back for a team training at 6 p.m. So... Um, no, it was definitely it was definitely better than waking up, going to a morning practice at college, 
shower, get ready, and then go to class. Like it was very different, but I but I'm I've enjoyed it to this day. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned about this killer mentality and um, how everyone's fighting for the limited spots year after year. Um, usually for these guys, how how high is the turnover on the New Zealand um, pro team? And uh, as you said, these guys were trying to beat each other out of a job, right? It yeah. sounds very intense. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. But I feel like at that point, if you're trying to beat someone out of a job and they're not allowing you to do that, then it's only pushing you to get better. Yeah. It's only going to put, it's like the old saying, iron sharpens iron type thing. Um, so, yes, it is a killer mentality you have to have, but then it's also like, well, we're making each other better for the day. And if I don't sign back with this team, or I do sign back, if I don't sign back with this team, then I know that I've done my best and hopefully my best has done enough to open up other opportunities right. with other teams, other leagues. So that's kind of what you have to kind of prepare for is like, well, I've done all I can for this team maybe I can go do the same or even better with another team and kind of make a name for another, make my name for another team type thing. So I guess that's the tricky part you got to have as well. Is like you got to be willing to accept that you might not be with the team for for your whole career. Mm. There might be businesses business decisions that need to be made. Mm. Um and yeah. Yeah. But I think there's only so much you can do as an individual, right? It's also about uh, how the coach see you and your role on the team, how much opportunities you're given. Um, like you said, if if a player, a star player got injured, then you might have to step up, and that's how you prove yourself. So with when it comes to sports, there are a lot of things that are outside of your control, yeah. right? Yeah, like um, I think to this day, some of the teams that I've been a part of, like yes it helps that you can shoot the ball in the hoop really well or um you can stop someone from scoring or make it as hard as possible you can for someone but then like other characteristics come in is he a great teammate um is he a great locker room guy is he is he a good person to promote the the team's brand like those are the other things that the front office have to deal with the coach he kind of deals with all aspects like is he coachable? Um, does he is he a smart IQ player? Can he pick up on things quick? Is he versatile? Can I put him in this spot, this position? Um, so there's from a coach's standpoint, yes, you got to worry about the on court, but then you also got to figure out well, how is he in the locker room? Is he a, is he a cancer in the locker room, or is he a great leader to help a young team progress and get even better? Is he good at developing um, his other players? Is he good? as a as a leader to almost allow her allow other coaches to be to be coached by him type thing um so i think those are a lot of things that um teams look at mm. not just only oh he can shoot the ball mm. so let's put him in or he can score the ball really well um he can stop a guy i don't think that's everything that a that a organization looks for they i think some of the ones that i've been a part of they actually would look at your characteristics more than your skills itself. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting because I think as uh, fans, we uh, often overlook these aspects of basketball, of the, the game, the franchise, the business. Um, 
you know, among these things and perhaps more, what are the other things you think that um, we're missing? Usually, the fans don't don't see but underappreciate. Yeah, I think um, so. The fans usually they'll see the finished product, which is、right. the game. So, let's just say at the end of the week. They see they they get their tickets they buy their tickets and they see the the final product of what we think is is the game, yeah. But that's not really it. Like we've done all the build up from Monday to play to prepare for a game on Saturday, yeah. But yes, we've done our team trainings, our weights, our massages, our physios. But they don't see the. I feel like they kind of miss the inside of like well, on top of our team trainings, we're waking up. Two hours earlier to go get an individual workout to better our skills.、Um, we put in an extra shots after training. We're we're stretching or we're going to doing yoga classes to make sure our body's right. Or we're missing time on our we're missing time to spend with our families to make sure、mm. that we get all this extra work in to help make that finished product, which is the game,、mm. the best game possible for not only the fans but also for our careers as well because. Basketball is a business, is a business, and it's a result-based business as well. If you're、right. losing, and you're doing all the sexual work, then fans just think, oh, they're not doing anything behind the scenes. Like they're just going out partying, <laughs> blah blah blah. But that might not be the case. We might be just. It might、yeah. not just have been our day, or the team environment wasn't what it is, or structure around it. Yeah.、Um, Every but, team has a different dynamic. A hundred percent different routines. How? Yeah, I, I think the the key word is、uh, is culture, right?、Mm-hmm. Organizational culture. Yeah.、Um, from all the teams you've played through, high school, college, professional, national level, what do you think makes a great team from the culture standpoint? Um, like who set the tone and what are the characteristics that. Yeah, I had. I've I've been really fortunate. Like honestly, in my career, I've been really fortunate to have some high character guys that are real players that you would want to build a team around because of their characteristics,、um, also because of their skill level and all that. But their characteristics on what they bring to an organization, how they lead.、Um, so my first year with the Breakers. Um, one of our leaders was Mika Vakona, New Zealand legend, icon in the basketball world, even in even in the basketball world and in international.、Um, he was probably a guy that, if you were to start your organization, you would want to start your organization with because the way he led and the way he played, that was the breeding stone for your culture. Like he was, it, he was the guy that led by example. He wouldn't say something and not do it. He would always put his best foot forward, give it everything he has. And at the end of the day, if they didn't, if you didn't win the game, you know that he's done everything he can to make sure that you're in the best position too. And he was by far the 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 best captain that I've been, the best captain that I've had.、Um, and I think that's what's made my experience even better. Because it wasn't only I got to experience this for the New Zealand Breakers my first year, but also the Tall Blacks, the national teams. Yeah. yeah. So I got to understand from him, just seeing how he led, that oh, this is who he is. This is why teams and organisations have him on your have him on your team because he does these all these little things. Yeah. Like 
you would think a guy like him, if we're going to one of our games, he would he would just get off the bus and go to the locker room. But no, he would get off the bus, see if there's any bags that need to be picked up, water bottles, he'll pick it up himself and just carry it in. Like he's not relying on anyone to pick up after him. Mm. He's almost a guy that he's a grown man, but he also knows what needs to be done. He's always there with a helping hand. And so that kind of just helps the culture. Like if you see your veteran player, your captain doing all these things, Mm. people are going to start following suit. Mm. They're going to help him out and helping him out is only going to help the team out. Mm. So that's kind of how I learned, learned as well, which was actually pretty fortunate. And then I've kind of tried to carry it on with other teams I've been with, other organizations that I've been with. And yeah. Mm. So it comes down to the key guy, the, the, the person that, leads the whole squad on and off the court um what does he like personally for most of us who never met him um on the court someone you wouldn't want to go against honestly like he was probably about six six power forward played power forward his whole career internationally organization even five he would even play the five the center Mm. but he was someone that was so relentless on the boards that it was so hard he was probably one of the best rebounders and hardest people to box out mm. like just from his overall toughness um his demeanor of how he went about the games like he didn't care who you are if you're not wearing the same jersey that he is he doesn't care who you are mm. um was he, he very vocal in the locker room was he a, a mm, extrovert? yes yes but only when needed like he was he was someone that always led by example like okay. he would always walk the walk instead of saying something and then if he didn't say it or if he didn't do it then we would hold him accountable but he would do the action and then talk about it if needed to emphasize it even more so like i don't know if we're if we weren't having a great rebounding game he would just put all his energy into getting every single rebound possible making sure that none of the other opposition would get it mm-hmm. and so we see that we see our one power forward or our one center going up against five other dudes and he's he's grabbing all these balls out the out the hoop out off the rim um and we're looking at that we're like well if he's able to do it against five people surely we can do it on a one-on-one environment type thing Mm. so he was always someone that led by example and um but then off the court a helping hand if you needed help with anything and he and he could provide it he would he would he would do it like I don't know if you if you needed to get into a gym or you needed someone's contact to mm. to get something or whatever. If you needed a ride anywhere, yep, come on, I got you. Like, I can do this. It's easy. Like, he was the most unselfish person. So it goes kind of hand in hand. His leadership on the court and also off the court. His characters, yep. his relationship with the uh, the teammates. Right. I think for a leader, the a key criteria is how do you make the people around you better, yes. better versions of themselves. Yeah. And you can only go so far by leading by example. Yeah. Whether other people follow you or not, sometimes it comes down to the dynamics, the culture. Yep. Yeah. And if and if you didn't follow him and you led in other ways, then by all means you could you could do that. Like you didn't have to if he goes this way, you have to go this way because he's doing it. Like no, like yeah. 
yes, he's going this way because that's that's how he leads, that's how he is. But if you want to be more vocal, but being making it constructive and informative and making sure that you're not just yelling things to say things, then by all means, you can go that way as well. We There's not just one way to lead. Yeah. There's other ways to lead. Like It was just that he was so great at leading by example yeah. that his talk, he didn't really have to do it because everyone could just see him doing it. Mm. Whereas like I've had vocal leaders that have been great like they with what they say with how they say it how they communicate different situations or how they communicate to different people mm. that is that is honestly a skill because right you the way i communicate to you say i can't communicate to to a dave or or a james or any of my other teammates or whatever i have to find out how do i get my message across mm. to you but how do i get my message across to everyone else that's different Mm. so it's so how did these leaders or if you even put yourself in the position how do you deal with um um let's say non-compliant teammates or uh, you know those who have uh, egos in the locker rooms yeah um i would say probably the worst thing is to kind of keep feeding that ego like you kind of have to give them a reality check soon enough like mm. Um, I know some coaches that if you did have that ego and you thought you were this and that as a player, that you would get exposed pretty quick on film. Like mm. if you, if you, I don't know, if you had a game, if we were watching a game film and you think you were this and that, like you were getting every bucket and stopping everyone, but then film doesn't lie. Like if we sit down and watch film and then you're getting blown by and it's happening on a constant basis, but in your head you think you've done the right thing mm. you need it you need a reality check because then you're just kind of being delusional in a sense mm. but i think that every player is different you have to approach different situations with different communications um i don't think one method fits all um i think it just really depends on the player that you're that you're trying to communicate with um has there been any examples on top of your head of fallouts or uh, conflicts not necessarily like um there was one guy on our team his name was damien ikanasio he was a great leader as well amazing but i remember every team or every every time a new import would get put into our team mm. He would try our, the very their very first training. He would try everything in his power to make sure to get under their skin. Mm. Whether it be I'm just going to make sure that I'm going to be so physical with him that he's going to get annoyed, and if it comes to it, he's going to be physical with me. He's going to push me, punch me, whatever. But he was trying to mentally get under you to make sure that when we get into one of those games with the team with another team in opposition, that you'll be ready for it. Mm. That. Because a lot of a lot of imports that come to New Zealand or Australia, referees they kind of they target you pretty easily because they'll either get they'll either put you in foul trouble or they'll let you get bumped or pushed around a lot more than most. So his his whole thing was he wants to make it as physical and as mentally tough for you as possible, so that when you do get put in those situations, you can handle it in the game situation and it wouldn't take you off your game. Mm. which was pretty smart to think because I would, I would never ever think of that but 
for him to do that in, in your very first practice and to know right. that you're getting put in the fire straight away, yeah, it's only going to help you for when a game situation comes around. It's only just going to help you even better because you've been through it and practice with your teammate. Yeah. With a teammate that you think has got your back, which he does. He he always had your back no matter what. But he was preparing you for the worst to only make sure that you performed at your best at that time. Right. So, yeah. I don't know if there was any... I can't remember exactly specific situations, um, specific players, but he was one guy that I kind of learned a lot from to help prepare other players, other teammates. Mm. So now, like, looking back as a vet, you know, to your early days... Um, <laughs> and that sounds weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, what changed? What what would you have done differently or what do you have learned now that you didn't know before um about basketball about um just how to take care of yourself in general as an athlete yeah uh i think because i've had a i've had some pretty decent injuries in a short amount of time lately um lately yeah so like last year i had micro tears in my plantar fascia um that's kind of that kind of stopped me from getting other opportunities to play overseas um before that i had fractured my foot and now i've got a screw in it so that kind of helped that was probably one of the the worst times of my career because that was the longest i've ever missed a game ever missed basketball without playing mm. um and that was a dark time because i always had previously if i did get injured it was always it was only going to be for like two weeks or three weeks or so, and then I'm back on the court. But I was out for about seven months, eight months without playing. Yeah, seven. Yeah, I, about seven months, I'd say. And I had nothing else to kind of vent or let my off-court problems out. Like I couldn't go shoot a ball or I couldn't get up and go to the gym. Like that was probably one of the tougher times. But I'm only better for it now because I know what to expect when I lay fast forward and I did have the plantar fascia, I knew how to handle it. Mm. I knew how to handle those moments to where, like, if something was, wasn't going right, I knew how to handle it. I knew what I needed to do. Um, and then that kind of switched my mind to how do I switch my workout my workouts out? Like, how do I read up or get more information on how do I make my body feel better whether it is a lot more yoga or pilates or stuff like that so i've definitely incorporated a lot more yoga and pilates in my workouts now to kind of help my body out and i can't always just go to the gym and squat a hundred and something kgs or bench a hundred and something kgs because it's just not right for me like my body doesn't need that i i feel like i'm a pretty strong strong guy and yeah um i think the things that i've read about and i've looked up have done me great and my body has felt pretty awesome so if i'd had to look back i'd probably wish that i'd done all the stuff that i'd do now a bit earlier, earlier. yeah but i guess that's that's where all the learnings and all the teachings come in yeah start to focus more on longevity of the career yes yeah yeah and 100 percent like yeah, like if you look at the the NBA players like LeBron, twenty first, twenty second season, it's still 
must help when you can put a million dollars into your body as well but that's yeah. true yeah but it's crazy though like there's so much new technology new methods of training now so yeah <coughs> so yeah i mean do you have a team of um trainers or um nutritionists um i wouldn't say i have a team but i have certain people that i can go to if i need information on certain things um yeah i've had again like i've had pretty fortunate um like people i've met along the way like doctors physios um, strength and conditioning coaches so um, those are some people that i do rely on if i do need any information or if i do need um, any recommendations for other other treatments um, those are the people i'll go to but yeah i think it's i think it was just me like I said earlier on, just creating relationships and just seeing just seeing where it goes. Yeah, I think unless you're like a franchise player in an NBA team, you're kind of in your own hands to take yeah. care of yourself, yeah. right? Like even a lot of those guys, I would even say, like not even the franchise players, but guys that are trying to become franchise players or be solid players in the league for a certain amount of time, they're, they're, as soon as they get into the league, they're getting their chefs, they're getting like nutritionists right um trainers strength and conditioning trainers all this other stuff so like those are the guys that you could probably see that will stay in the league for a long time is when they are taking their body serious and um doing all the little things so so right so for for the the rest of us who don't get these access right um at what point did you figure everything out was there a like light bulb moment you're like okay i know this this is what works for my body mm. this is what i need to work on for this these few months um yeah. honestly i don't think i've figured it out just yet e- anyway like i think every day week month year has made me one percent or two percent better from the way i approach things like like i said when i got this injury the fracture in my foot Mm. that's when it started like thinking of different ways to train and it was like opening my mind up well if i build from the base up like building from my ankle strength my calf strength then everything else can kind of follow through so then that year or that that time i would focus on that and then get to the next year i'm working on balance core and all this other stuff and the following year because i'm playing a lot more games a lot more minutes like this year i probably did a lot more when i was with the hawks bay hawks i probably did a lot more stretching than i was used to because i was playing higher minutes Mm. um and a lot more games in short amount of times usually Mm. doing every training and all that i would probably i was doing a lot more stretching and a lot more recovery then actually going to the gym, chucking on a bunch of weights and building strength. Whereas this one, I was just like, I was doing all the ice baths, the stretching, the rollouts, the mm. the saunas and all that. I was doing a lot more of that. So I think I've just kind of switched up my mindset depending on what is required or what I've done in each team each season. Mm. Um, so in a typical season, how busy does it get? how many games in a week um so i'll put I'll, I'll take it back to to like when i was younger yeah but i would play the nznbl yeah oh the a the australian nbl sorry yeah so uh, say i was with the breakers for the australian nbl that would be from 
October to about March. Mm. So about six months roughly. And March would only be if you made the playoffs, like if mm. you went all the way into the playoffs. February, the last week of February was like your cutoff from the regular season. But it would say about six months, you will, that, that one season would be. Then if you did play the NZNBL, you'd go from that, which the NZNBL would start in about March and finish in about March, April, May, June, about July. So another four, three months. Mm. So that'll be like nine months, 10 months of work and then in that time New Zealand competition was only 20 games the AMBL was about 28 for the regular season and then whatever you played in the playoffs mm. so it would be about 50 something games in about a, a nine month period mm. um, when I was younger I, I, I was able to kind of play a lot more minutes a lot more a lot more games and didn't need much recovery mm. Whereas now, if I kind of did that similar thing, then I would make sure after every game I was getting massages or try to after every game get massages, ice. Um, if it is, if I didn't play that much, get my conditioning in so then it prepares me for the next game or get my strength workout in to help me prepare for that game. Like, there's so many little things that it depends on if you're playing mm. high minutes, then you kind of flip the switch the other way. Like, how can I get my body ready for? How can I get my body recovered mm. after wear and tear after the game? Or if I'm not playing as much minutes, how do I get my body moving and moving at a high high pace or whatever to make sure that it is ready for the next game? So mm. if my number is called, then I've no, I've done work for it type thing. So do you have any um, secretly held it guarded? <laughs> hacks you can share um <laughs> uh i do like which is what works best for you um so this season a lot of ice baths and saunas mm. really helped me um rotate between them yeah like i'll usually sometimes i'll usually even just go eight to ten minutes on the ice and then about 20 minutes in the sauna this is a combo yeah um but I have heard that researchers going back and forth helps even even good as well. Yeah. Um, there is a thing called Normatec, um, which is like compression yeah. leg sleeves. Yeah. So I did a lot of that as well. Um, but yeah, I don't think there was like, I don't think one method fits all, but those were a couple of the things that I did. <laughs> is, uh, I've seen those on the on the ads on instagram yeah. everywhere so uh, does it work is it just a <laughs> for me gimmick? it does like okay. personally for me i feel like it does like it does it did help re speed up my recovery quicker for games for those short turnarounds um but i know that other players they don't use it at all and they seem fine just if they do the ice and stretch like yeah yeah okay um i think before we move on i i, I do want to talk about your um career accolades you won championships with uh both the breakers and also the nz and bl team right yeah um just for us who are um unfamiliar with the structure organizations uh what is it like in the in the australian nbl and uh i guess the breakers is the only new zealand team playing there right yeah so with the australian nbl it is a lot bigger from a standpoint of the amount of money and sponsorship that goes into the whole league itself. Um, New Zealand, I would consider, it is getting better, but it is con I feel like it is considered like a semi-pro league in yeah. a way because it's only a three to four month season, so it's pretty short. So 
it means during off season the players are you know they could take up other yes vocations doing yeah. other things yeah so your main your main like contract would be the ambl and then if you wanted to you can play in the new zealand competition okay but you could also just be like oh, i don't want to play in new zealand i want to go overseas to europe or somewhere um but ambl is definitely a higher talent of a higher talent a higher pool talent yeah so they do have like former nba guys going there um they do have preseason games against nba teams so and that's just due to marketing um sponsorship deals but the they even have a salary base that they have for each each team yeah requirement so so how common is it for a new zealand player to both to play in both leagues like you very very common okay. so it's it's kind of weird like in the ambl because there's one new zealand team in the competition yeah new zealanders and australians are considered locals just because new zealand has the breakers yeah and they're considered locals yeah but if you go to the new zealand nbl if an aussie player wanted to play in the new zealand nbl they would be considered an import yeah because there's no australian teams in the competition yeah and so that's where the trickiness comes in is like in the ambl the australian competition new zealanders and australians are considered locals yeah in the new zealand competition where it's just strictly new zealand teams domestic league they australians or anyone that's not new zealand or kiwi they're considered imports so you will only be allowed three imports on each team whereas same thing in new zealand on the australian competition in the australian competition you're allowed three imports but then there's also a rule and now that they've brought in which is like a next star Mm. which is like high school kids or high school kids coming in to play in the australian competition that ha- that are high prospects for the nba and they mm. don't want to go to co- they don't want to go the college route so they could go to there's a i think there might be one in every team this year mm. and so um they're they're what you call next stars or next gen stars mm. and so they're the ones that play and that could possibly have a high chance of getting drafted to the nba and that just brings more eyes more scouts to the ambl competition and that's only just going to bring in more money for for the league itself whereas mm-hmm. new zealand they don't have that type of program it's more or less local high school kids in new zealand if they got nothing else to play in and they are pretty talented or they do want to keep continuing their basketball career they'll play in the new zealand nbl mm-hmm. and then the new zealand nbl is kind of like a stepping stone to get into the ambl yeah so that's kind of how that system works were there a big difference in the um salaries yes two leagues yeah just because it's such a new zealand is such a such a it's not marketed and it's not um i guess the sponsorship isn't flooding in with money right like t- there's no massive tv deals or anything coming into the new zealand competition yeah whereas the ambl they're signing like the nba deals of like next star players they're signing in tv marketing um and then each individual team has their own merchandise and so mm. there's a lot more time and a lot more time and a lot more access into the ambl right than what there is into the nznbl so i think so that kind of this kind of they have like the ambl has like a player what is it called um a players association mm. so like in the nba there's players association there 
the NBL has a players association for the AMBL there, whereas New Zealand, they don't. So they're able to negotiate, I think it's every three, maybe four years, negotiate. The salary cap? Salary cap, um, endorsement deals, whatever. Whatever they kind of talk about or what they want to promote is is what the Players Association is for. New Zealand, they kind of really don't have that right now because it's not something where a bunch of money is just getting thrown in each year to kind of help that, so... Mm. I think on the on the back of that players association perhaps now is a good time to transition more to the talking about the business side of basketball. Yep. Um I think outside of NBA a lot of people don't realize that there are many many leagues yep. across the world that are uh growing uh developing um so as an uh player pro athlete when you look at opportunities to play overseas uh what is the landscape like and uh what are the ranges of uh earnings potential typically um so like you said there is a lot of lot of leagues out in in the world there like basketball is is a worldwide sport um and i think it kind of depends on what continent i guess you go to um like asia is is pretty well paid like china is massive because China, they love basketball there. It's it's pretty huge. And so on pure, average, how much do you think? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. Some players probably range between, like probably the star players, a couple mil. Okay. Um, Europe Europe is probably the, uh, like I think it's ACB, ACB, which is a Spanish competition. Mm. Those guys are on big money as well because that's where a lot of the high talent comes out and a lot of great players go to if they can't make the NBA. Um, EuroLeague is massive. Like, that's probably the second best competition. And then I would say probably the AMBL is like the third. Australia. Yeah. yeah. But I don't... I would say the Australian competition, you wouldn't get paid as big as you would in Europe or Asia. But the the eyes that are on the AMBL because of the NBA and because right. of the next stars and the high school talents that are coming and the preseason games that they do have in the NBA. If you want to get noticed, I would say going to the AMBL could be the best bet for you. If you are a kid that's just finished this college in the States and you don't want to go to a European country to where you're trying to figure out English or trying to figure out um, the translations, Australia mm. is a great transition for first time is coming out of college and your first time gig like it's a summertime league mm. easy transition like everyone speaks english um it's kind of similar style very up and down pace mm. to where if you get put in europe into a into a country where you have no idea about they don't speak english you're there by yourself you're there trying to understand like what this you might have a crazy crazy coach he could be yelling at you in a foreign language you don't know what he's saying but then if that doesn't go well it could just ruin your mental and then you want you might want to leave halfway through or even when you start and so yeah. there's a lot of a lot of factors that you want to get in but if you're if you're mentally built for transitioning like that yeah then europe is probably your place to go if you fit the skill set and you're mentally better going in that situation then europe is your go but if you f- if you find that it might be a bit harder and your goal is to get to the nba um and you want to take a chance and take a pay cut and i don't know whatever then possibly 
Australia could be your way to go mm. from a standpoint of like easy easy country to get along with Australia New Zealand whatever yeah, um, yeah. everyone speaks English summertime league yeah. I'm playing 28 games or yeah. 30 plus games like that could be very ideal for someone for so a college kid for a decision like that how much is it driven by the player and how much is it the, the agent um I think it's probably a lot to do with the player. Like, the agent could probably come to him and be like, oh, here, we've got two deals in Europe and it's this this country or we've got the Australian competition. Yeah. And he'll give him the best possible situations. Like, he would say, this has got more money or yeah. this has got a better role for you. Um, this fits your playing style. This will make you shine in these moments. Or they might say, well, this one is NBA scouts or scouts are looking at this league because it's it's rising pretty quick at a high rapid pace um it's not you're not gonna you're more or less taking an opportunity more than an actual money maker yeah um and so the player would kind of probably weigh that up and be like well if my end goal is nba or or whatever yeah and i'm not prepared to go to europe and um be off court off court challenged like i'm not ready for non-speaking english people having translators follow me around yeah possibly not even getting paid most weeks if if we do have a bad season yeah i've known some teams in europe to not pay you wow and so you'd have to fight all that if you aren't having a greater season so is that a breach of the contract though oh for sure for sure i think some i think some guys like when i was younger i i had some veterans that had played in europe and I won't say specific countries or specific players, but they've played in Europe and they've gone to FIBA with a lawsuit saying that this team hasn't paid me and it's taken them eight or five to eight years to get their money that they mm. were owed. And so I don't know if it's still the same now because I don't hear much of those stories, um, but I do know that... Like, the owners and the organizations can just yeah, rob you in some way. Rob they, you or they can just be like, oh, you're... I don't know, your money's coming through, it's just taking a couple of days or they yeah. could possibly just be as blunt as, as as blunt as they want and just be like, well, you're doing terrible right now, we're not going to pay you. Wow. So. Yeah, so got to find the right organization. Right too. organization, but the right environment that fits you, not only on the court, but off the court as well, because if you're having to struggle, do all these daily struggles off the court, yeah, it's only going to make your life on the court so much harder. Like, yeah. You're probably not used if you're a kid that's not used to driving and you're put in a foreign country can't read the signs yeah. the road directions don't know the road rules yeah you got a translator following you around like that's pretty tough to kind of listen and then you have to go to a practice where i have a coach that's kind of crazy and he's yelling at me because the yeah. translator's messing up with what he's trying to say like it, it'll be pretty tough to understand but yeah if you can go to a country and you do have English speaking English speaking coach or you have some great teammates or I don't know whatever and your life is great off the court yeah then by all means but like I think you got to find the right environment that fits you off yeah. the court but also fits your playing style yeah like I feel like for myself personally I kind of overstayed my welcome with the breakers mm. I felt like I was there for six years i think six years i probably should have left after my third third or fourth 
to play overseas to play somewhere else whether it be in another Australian team or even take up an opportunity overseas um, but I did feel like I overstayed my welcome a bit bit there but I loved it from a standpoint of I had great coaches and great teammates to help me through those moments while I was overstaying my welcome there as well yeah um, so so yeah it just depends like each journey is different each each career is going to be different like you're going to have your hardships like I have not met one player that's had a that's had a smooth sailing ship in his career so, right. so every playing contract can look quite different yes yeah depending on it could look different from a standpoint of what your role would be what your skill set is like um what the organization's financial situation is like right um yeah it, it, honestly it's it's different for each player yeah are the players paid monthly or um, it's like at the end there's a huge paycheck yeah i i know that you could like with the australian competition you can opt into it so you could be uh oh, have my pay every two weeks or fortnightly hmm. or have it monthly um you could even ask weekly maybe for overseas i'm not entirely sure mm. i know i know for the nba because they they announce it so much as what they call a game check yep. so after the game, game yeah after the game you'll get paid by game yep. i think i've seen a tiktok um completely different sport but i've seen a tiktok about an nfl player that put his game check online and explained he said it wasn't like he said you can go on google and you can look at my salary and look what i make but he was like oh this is to purely understand about taxes in the states yeah what i get from the amount that yeah. it says to the amount that i end up with and it goes by the taxes his all this other stuff right. so i thought that was pretty cool to see because at the end of the day it was a pretty big lump sum like his game check was 330k 330,000 or something like that per game per game so that was he only gave he only showed one video and it was about 330,000 but then he showed us all the all, all the, the taxes, taxes, all yeah. the bonuses that he gets taken out or gets put in, yeah. And so that was kind of cool to see. And like I assume that's probably how they do it in the NBA as well. Yeah, they'll give you a game check, they'll have your amount, and then they'll have all the taxes or probably your fines or whatever they take out. So yeah, so yeah, yeah. The the taxes in the US is quite hefty, but I guess playing overseas, you mentioned previously, it's sometimes the team will. Yeah, take care of so, the taxes so all the um whatever stayed in the contract that's net of yeah. taxes that's just what you take home right yeah so specifically europe i can't speak for any other asian countries or or that um but whatever you whatever you sign for in europe is what what you get like the team will pay your taxes or whatever yeah. um again it could be different for some other teams like some teams might be like well you got to sort out your taxes type thing but from the things that I've heard from past players is that what you sign for is what you get. Same, I think, I want to say Japan as well is the same. Mm. I th I'm pretty sure Japan is the same as well. Don't quote me on that, but from, if I remember correctly, I think Japan is like, whatever you sign for is what you get type thing. So, mm. so yeah. How involved are the owners? Um, the management, the day-to-day -day coaching yeah owners there's i think owners are different in their own sense of depending on the team and okay. how like um my first year with the breakers and i think for about four of those years i had i had a family called the blackwells 
and they were amazing they were so family orientated that's how they ran that's how they ran the club the organization was everyone's one big family um if you need anything we're here for you um they had their they had like we during those seasons those four years or so they they owned the team previously but i'm just specifically mm. talking about the four years that i was there when they were there um they they made sure that you were looked after really well like they would invite you around for barbecues have family gatherings like liz who was um the liz blackwell she would make sure that if they had imports like american wives if they would follow their partners over that she would kind of help guide the partners and have like a little girls group or wife or girlfriends group mm. paul would he was the head honcho he would like make sure everything's running smoothly but making sure that like i don't know he would just come up to, he'll come to some trainings and he wouldn't right. he wouldn't get himself involved in basketball whatsoever but he would just come up to some of the players and be like oh hey blah, blah, blah. how's how, how are you going like how, yeah. how's everything how's the family like yeah he wouldn't he wouldn't necessarily i wouldn't say care but he wouldn't necessarily get involved in the basketball side he would get involved more so like asking how you are as a person yeah how's your family like he would want to know more about that side of things yeah and so i thought that was amazing like not every owner's not like not every owner's like that like you could possibly get a owner that's like oh how's the team going <laughs> what do we need to change what do we need to do with this and that yeah um and they want to fully immerse themselves into into the team into yeah. the basketball side of things yeah. um so but yeah the Blackwells were amazing. Like, they were they were perfect for what I for what I liked. Yeah. Do the teammates know what each other's contract terms are like? How much they're making? Nah, I don't. I don't think so. Like the teams that I've been a part of, we didn't. You don't um, discuss that. Nah, we just discussed like we'd usually just discuss like how how long you're here for. Because in the Australian competition the the most amount of years you could sign for was three years three years at a time yeah you can sign one two or three but say say i sign a three-year deal i'm yeah. in my second year i'm in my second year of a contract i could yeah. sign and a two-year extension or a one-year extension so then i've still got like another two years or something or if i sign a three-year three-year deal and on my third year it's like a team option or a player option that just means the team can decide if i if they want me back for my third year or if i have a player option then that means i can decide if i want to go back yeah to that team and if i don't want to go back then i say no i'm not taking up my player option mm. I'll, I'll go into free agency or the team can say well we're not going to pick up your team option mm. we'll put you into free agency mm. so that's kind of different um and when you're a free agent, how do you announce it or um, so through the agent? So they with the AMBL they have like a a free agency period to where mm. like you have to kind of make your decision if you're gonna pick up a player's contract or you're not. Um, then by this date they'll become a free agent and they'll just have a list. And on this date, these are the free agents on the list. But during the season, during any time during the season, I'm pretty sure, or there might be a date during the season, I don't know, but I know that 
so say I'm playing with the New Zealand Breakers. Yeah. They can come to me and be like, oh, here, we're going to extend you for this contract. So I'm on my last year of my contract. I can re-sign with that team for another two, three years or another one year. Mm. But I can only do that with that team. Mm. If I'm playing for the Breakers and the Mel- a Melbourne team comes to me and be like, we want to sign you through this year, mm. you can't do that. Like you, you, you can only re-sign for a team that you're with through any time of the year. Mm. I can't do that with another team. Mm. So if I don't end up signing with the Breakers and they, they come to me and want to resign me I'm like oh no I don't want to Mm. and I end up finishing the season I have to wait till free agency period and then once that free agency period starts that's when other teams can approach me Mm. and be like oh we want to sign you for this or that but um, you have to wait the only team you don't have to wait for is the team you're currently with Mm. to to sign an extension or whatever what about on the other side playing for national teams are there um, compensations, bonuses? Um, nah, we're Not honestly, much. nah, nothing at all really. Like with... F- <coughs> it's more out of everyone's uh, patriotism to play. Pretty much like we do it because we love love our country type thing. It's more yeah. representing our country, but also the name on the back of the jersey. Yeah. Like for me, that's what I kind of, that's why I kind of play is because... I get to represent my country at a high level, yeah. But I also get to put put my jersey on that has my family name on the back of it, yeah. And I get to make them proud. Um, that's I guess that's more of an honor thing, yeah, and a pride thing um, than an actual salary or money type basis than anything because, yeah, within the national team we don't get contracts and say oh we're going to sign this contract for and play for the national team for this amount of years. Right. We just kind of, we go through a process of like, well, we'll get put in a selection pool and only say there's, I don't know, the coaches make a selection pool of 100 players mm. and um, not all 100 players are obviously going to make the team. Mm. But for each different tournament or different FIBA window game, they'll probably pick from those 100 players mm. and say they pick 20 of those players. Mm. And they'll be like, well, who's available or who who makes himself available for that? Mm. They'll select from from that. Yeah. But um, usually, when it comes to like a big event like the FIBA World Cup or um, the Olympics or I don't know the other tournaments, the other big tournaments, mm. we'll usually have a selection camp and we'll go through through that process where they'll pick maybe twenty five to thirty players mm. will all attend the camp. And then they'll do a selection process from that. Mm-hmm. So. And just a, a side question, I guess. I was, you know, reading the autobiography of Stephen Adams, <laughs> <laughs> leading to this uh, interview. Yeah. Um, have you played with him? Yes, I do. I have actually. So, when we were younger, um, under seventeens, New Zealand. You were back in the days playing similar yeah. position. Yeah, so he was he was the five man and I was the four. So on the same team. Yeah, on the same team for the the national team. Yeah, yeah. for the for the junior nationals for one of the junior junior national teams. So yeah. we were we were under seventeens playing against Australia. Okay. Steve at the time I think was about six eight six nine, <laughs> so he was this fifteen year old sixteen year old six eight six nine and just athletic. Yeah, 
He was he was scrawny, didn't have a beard, didn't have a ponytail, didn't look like Jason Momoa. <laughs> but um, nah, he was he was he was like he was a pretty special talent. Yeah, yeah. But he's been missing from the national team squad in the past few FIBAs, right? Yeah, like he he hasn't made himself available for the New Zealand Tour Blacks for any reason. I don't know why. Was he ever on the list? Um, I I don't know specific. Okay. I assume maybe not because if you, if he's on the list, then yeah, obviously you would. So it's more of a yeah. But I think decision. I think it was more. Um, the coaches would always be in talks with him. That's yeah. kind of as far as what I knew. Yeah. Um, I didn't try and ask or get involved with that side of things because at the end of the day, if he was going to play, he was going to play. Like right. he would make himself available. Um, for whatever reason, I don't know why. So as players, you guys don't. Uh, yeah, we kind of like we just we want to have our focus on the guys that are there. Yeah. Like, if we if we always sat in the room or sat in our meetings or trainings and just thought about everyone that could have played or should play, it'll kind of take away the aspect of why we're actually here or why we're actually selected with the team now. Um, I feel like that would have been a distraction. Yeah. Necessarily. Um, because if we focus on other guys, other players that aren't there, yeah, and it is a distraction, then we kind of lose focus on what our goal is at the time, or yep. what this team can can be, yeah, um, how successful we can be, yeah, um, instead of looking at the distractions and look at look at like, oh man, if we could be this or we if we had him or we had this person yeah our team yeah. could be this and that instead of switching the mindset was like look at the group that we have here like we have a we have a great bunch of guys a great bunch of talent yeah like let's see how far we can go with this group yeah and how 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 the confidence can switch yeah um so yeah for whatever reason if he does decide to play if he doesn't <coughs> i know the door is always going to be open for him yeah um and I feel like if he does play, it's it's in his time, it's in his moment, and when he's ready. Um, but yeah, yeah, because <coughs> that's he's like the player you think of uh, New Zealand basketball scene. Yeah, he definitely yeah. has done a lot for the game in New Zealand. Yeah. Like, I think Kiwi kids just seen, and I'm not not saying that previous players or past players haven't. Yeah, but all the kids nowadays they look at the NBA, especially in New Zealand. And um, New Zealand kids see Stephen Adams, see a Kiwi kid from from a small small town in New Zealand called Rotorua. They see a, a kid from Rotorua um, who's also Tongan um, go to the NBA. That's just going to inspire more Kiwi kids to believe that they can. Mm. Like that's pretty special. <coughs> but then, like previous players, like I know for myself, I come from a small small town in um in New Zealand called Porirua. Like I would like to think that I've I've inspired some kids from, from where I'm from that necessarily they don't have to dream to go to the NBA. By all means dream and aspire to go to the NBA but don't get discouraged if you don't go there. Like know that like you're representing your country at a high level you've played for the breakers you've done all this like there are other options like just yeah. don't get discouraged that if you don't go to the nba um it's the end of the world right like yeah i think we can find out about that pretty easily by 
just scanning around and see how many people are growing a beard like yours <laughs> and where you're coming from. So <laughs> credit James Harden. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He's still he's still got the best one. Yeah. Yeah, but like I, that's what I tell kids. Like, by all means, dream big. Like, get pursue the highest of goals that you can. But if you don't get there, then don't feel like it's the end of the world. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's so much more opportunities along the way like along your process of getting to the nba yeah you could have gone to europe or played in the ambl for 20 plus years and you could have had the best career in the ambl you could have been one of the best players in the ambl but the fact that you've dreamt that you're going to be in the nba and each year through those 20 years you've tried to work as hard as you can yeah it's only helped your career so much in the ambl that you become a legend or you've gone to europe and you've made success and money and fame and the status in Europe that you've created all these relationships like just don't think that if you get to if you don't get to where you've dreamt or you've set your goal at that it's the end of the world and I'm a, you're a failure you're this and that like yeah NBA I'll, is just one of the markers of uh, yeah, success out there 100% right? yeah. like I've I dreamt of the NBA when I was young like as soon as I started playing basketball before I could even like <laughs> shoot a ball or dribble with my right hand or like run and dribble at the same time like i was like no i'm going to the nba like i had in my head i was going to the nba yeah who was your um role model back then um did you have a favorite team or player my favorite player of all time is michael jordan um at the time i did like uh i watch a lot i would watch a lot of youtube mixtapes and uh one of my good friends slash cousins him and his brother they would always watch youtube mixtapes and they kind of got me onto one of this one of these mixtapes was hakeem elijah one mm. and because at the time i didn't know how to dribble that well and i was a post player he was one of the post players i would watch and so like seeing him baseline spin that was something i incorporated and i would work on rigorously to try and make sure that i get and so um, there was Hakeem Olajuwon. Obviously, you watch your Michael Jordan's just flying through there, dunking. Um, yeah. Larry Bird was another one. He was good. But then, like, I'm watching guys like Manu Ginobili. Yeah. Like, he was a lefty that, for some reason, made the Eurostep so famous. And the way he just yeah. played with the ultimate creativity yeah. was was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was perfect to see. It was beautiful basketball. Yeah, but like then like guys like him and um like Steve Nash, the guy all the guys might not have the best athleticism yeah. but are still playing out there competing at the highest level, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like like I said, like you got the guys, you got your Kobe Bryants. Yeah. Um, but then you listen to a clip of Kobe, uh, I think his documentary, Kobe Doing Work, and it's him playing the Spurs. And he talks about Manu Ginobili being the, one of his ultimate competitors because they're just going at it the whole time. Like he's probably one of the most fearless shooting guards in, in the NBA at that time. And you have Kobe Bryant talking about this, and you're like, man, who who is this guy that doesn't get the doesn't have like a status of Kobe Bryant or LeBron James or Dwayne Wade? Yeah. And you got Kobe talking to him like he's a legend, which he is. Manu yeah. Ginobili is a legend in basketball. But like I feel like a lot of people don't know that, and and so I kind of I kind of pride myself on knowing the history of the game and past yeah. players, not only the star players, yeah, 
and superstar players, but like role players that have starred in their role or that don't get the recognition that they do. Yeah. So so yeah. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was a fearless uh, sixth man off the bench every game. Yeah. I think you can definitely speak more on that than me. But I think coming off the bench is another level of skill set yeah. and uh, mental um, readiness. Yeah, it's yeah. it's something to where like if you are coming off the bench, you you almost you almost don't want to go in with the mindset of I can't mess up, I can't mess up. No, you watch the you watch the group that starts, and for whatever position you're put in. And you go out there, and the coach trusts you. You just don't want to do if there are if there are mistakes. You just don't want to keep making those same mistakes coming off the bench. Right. You want to learn from watching first. So, from the first, the first when I first started, I was coming off the bench. Yeah. And my whole mindset was, how do I stay ready? Well, I stay ready by making sure that I get a good warm up, um, and that I'm watching making sure that I'm learning. So if, if I do get put in those same situations with my position that I'm watching, then I know that what not to do. Right. Instead of going into the game, getting put in the game, and I get put in those situations, and I'm doing the exact same mess-ups, or I'm messing up just as bad as what the starting group was or the starting person was. I just try to prepare myself to where I was mentally switched on then more physically. Because if I was mentally switched on, then I knew that I was getting put in good positions. I was making the right reads, making the right decisions. Right. Because um, I think that the challenges that come with coming off the bench is um, if you're a starter, you have the game plan. You know what to expect when yep. you step foot on the court. Score is 0-0. Zero to zero. You know who you're guarding. You know the defense, the offense, the playbooks. But as a bench player, you might get subbed in when you're down by 10 points. Yep down by 15 you're starting the foul trouble right um different situations you might have to adjust yep yeah and you gotta and you gotta also understand that like there's a famous quote everyone like i think um, mike tyson said this everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face so yeah we might have a game plan or a or a scout but then if that starting group can't really fulfill that and then you're one of the guys that the coach trusts to be like, well, here, we're going to put you in. Try and, This is the new plan we're going to set. And you got to try and execute it. Now you you become the starting group because the coach has started a new a new scheme, a new plan. And now you try you have to try and do your best to fulfill that. And so from now on, the roles, the roles are switched. Now he's taking the starting group out or he's taking a couple of starting groups out. Yeah. you got to almost be mentally switched on and ready to kind of fulfill that plan that he has because the first plan didn't work plan a didn't work so now you're put in as plan b how can i do it to the best of my ability that's what you got to figure out um but then you also just got to go out there and try not to think too much like at the end of the day basketball is a game um if you go out there trying to overthink every single move every single thing you're just gonna i feel like you're gonna be focused too much on not messing up instead of just playing the game of basketball. Like basketball is an instinctive game. You have to let your instincts take take over and almost just have a natural natural feel to it. And right. So that's kind of where my learnings as a player kind of kick in as well. Because I was, I feel like at times I would overthink a lot, mm. whereas I wouldn't just have, I wouldn't let the natural feelings or the natural instincts take over. Mm. 
And so that's a big lesson that I kind of learned and I'm glad that I did because... Um, that helped with your game against oh, the USA, right? Recently 100%. at the World Cup. Yeah, like it was just it was just basketball at the end of the day. Yeah. Like that whole World Cup situation, like we had a very, very simple game plan and because I feel like we kept it simple, it kind of helped us out where it just allowed us to naturally, naturally play. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it just he just it was just more like they left we left it up to the players to kind of instinctively play, and yes, we do have this we do have guidelines or we do have a plan, yeah. But let's put our players in the best situation possible, yeah, to to succeed in this plan, and also kind of have that feel, have the game of basketball just take over and yeah. let it just let it just play. Yeah, um, I think. Um, on that note, perhaps we can wrap up with uh, one last question on you, bring back to you personally. Um, when you look ahead on what remains in your career and even the next chapter, a lot of the players, they, they go into coaching, they go into, if you're in the U.S., sports media, commentator, um, where do you see yourself in the next five, ten years, even outside of basketball? Yeah, um... It's something I've been thinking about a lot more now, like now that I'm on the, the other end of 30 now, um, people always ask, well, how long do you think you'll be playing basketball for? And honestly, like, I don't I, I don't think I could give a specific time frame, but my one thing is I don't want the game to retire me, which means I don't want it to be because of injury that I've had to leave this game that I love. I wanted to be on my own terms. I want to be like, all right, even if I don't play that much minutes or I do end up playing minutes, I just want it to be where, like, I've given the game all I have or I've given the game what I can mm. and I want to step away and I want, it to, I want to move on from basketball. Not necessarily move on from it, but move on from a playing aspect. Um, so as for time frames, five, ten years... I couldn't tell you, um, but I think when I am sitting done with the game, once I do walk away from it, I do want to take a certain amount of time off and just be away from basketball from a standpoint of I've missed out. I probably would have missed out on a lot of opportunities with my family. Um, and so I do have a younger daughter right now. And so if I do look at that five, ten years down the track, she's probably going to be eight to ten years old if, when I do look at retiring. Um, how do I look at that from like all the time that I've missed prior to that I do want to just take some time to be a father again to whether it's one child or two three um, and that could be just as simple as waking up every day and um, taking them to school like that's something I'll probably take for granted now that I'm playing but I know that it is a special moment me waking up and dropping dropping my child off at school and even if it is for that five to 20 minute period like that'll be something i cherish cherish pretty well um would you want them to play basketball honestly i i don't know like i would want them to do if if they put the ball in their hand then and that's what they want to do by all means i don't want them to look at me and think oh because 
my dad played basketball i have to play basketball i don't want that i want them to be freely willing to be like i want to play basketball because i see my dad and he made it look fun and he enjoyed it yeah and he had a great life that's why i want them to pick it up not because oh my dad played basketball so i have to play yeah yeah i want it to be the opposite and so um man i don't even mind if they say hey i want to play volleyball i want to play soccer or or they say oh i don't want to play basketball at all i don't want to play any sport at all i want to be a business owner or i want to do this i'm always going to support them with any of my children but i just want it to be their decision yeah not me dictating what they have to do but also knowing that well if you do go down down whatever route you do i want you to go 100 percent. i want you to work hard at it because it's not going to be easy and if it is the basketball route i'll be there to guide them but i don't want them to think like i'm gonna they get, have to succeed because you're yeah or kind of holding i don't want hands. them to think like oh my dad's this and that or yeah. if i am this and that then he's gonna he's gonna get me this opportunity or that opportunity i'm just gonna hand him these things because that's not how it worked like that's not how i kind of get to where i am at this time was yeah. because i got handed out opportunities yeah i still had to work i got i got gifted certain opportunities that i that i still had to make the most of it but it was never someone to be like here you're gonna get this so mm. you're gonna be put in this situation um but yeah whatever it is um i just want them to know that it is gonna be hard and I want them to work hard at it, but also I want them to love it. Mm. I don't want them to work hard and feel like it's draining them and mm. it's it's become less enjoyable. I still want them to work hard, but I want them to wake up every morning and be like, oh, I get to do this. I love it. Yeah. But it is a hard thing to do. <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah um, that kind of went on a whirlwind of how I look at my five to ten years. But um, yeah, I i do want to step away so when i finish being a player i do want to step away from the game yeah and then after i've had my little period or my little break i would love to get into coaching yeah um i do kind of see myself as a high iq player yeah um and i just feel like i had a talk with someone and i just felt like it was a this a disservice for me knowing how much the game has given me yeah and opportunities it's given me not only on the court but off the court that i shouldn't help others kind of kind of experience that or get a little bit of my experience and so um as a way to give back yeah 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 like i already know that for me personally if i did do this coaching thing and development thing the way i explain things or the way i explain the game of basketball i know that I couldn't explain it to a five-year-old kid because they'll just look at me like, oh, this is boring. I want to leave basketball. Yeah. I need a, uh, for me, and I, that's that's personally on me, I need to get better at explaining things and making yeah. things fun for kids to enjoy the sport. But I feel like the age group that, I'm, that I want to be at is like the the start of high school levels. Yeah. And so... Where you can play a formative... A role in yes. their understanding of the sport as a whole, right? A hundred percent character development. A hundred percent. And so, I, I kind of already know the the age level, yeah. but I also know that 
it's vital for like five year olds or even younger or or in that middle range five to eight year olds yeah you just got to enjoy the game for them like you just got to love it yeah because once you love the game when you do progress and you do get older that love of the game should carry you further yeah more than the actual work itself yeah like that's where i'm at to this day like i love the game so much that i'm i'm out of a contract right now but the love of the game for me is still there to where i can wake up in the morning go do my weight session or go for a run or still work at getting a contract to where i know that i've worked hard enough to try and get one but the love of the sport is still there for me mm. like i just love basketball that's yeah. as that's as simple as it can be for me like i just love yeah. it to where i will keep doing this until i can't anymore yeah i was gonna say i can't see you as a crazy coach though <laughs> i did all the stories you told us yeah. in the last hour about all the <laughs> craziness <laughs> nastiness yeah i don't know like what's gonna be yours what's gonna be your <laughs> getting under your skin yeah maybe maybe like i mean right now i don't i don't see myself as that but Maybe as I get older, I get grumpier. <laughs> I'd be that. I'd be that stereotypical grumpy old man. I don't know. Like, it's kind of tough. But I, I do. I don't wish that. If I am that grumpy old man, that I am being this crazy kid to high school kids. Like, if you hate teenagers, that's it's gonna come natural to you. <laughs> yeah. Nah. I mean, I don't wish that I am like a grumpy old person that just is a crazy coach or considered a crazy coach, but. I also don't want to be a walkover as a coach yeah. also. Like I yeah. I do want to find that 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 even medium to where like I have the respect of my players yeah. to where I can have fun, I can be that person that they do rely on, but then also am that coach that holds yeah. them accountable. Yeah. Because accountability in in this pro in this pro game in the pro career is very very high. Like you need that. You need accountability at every level of the sport what does it mean on the day-to-day like um not even on day-to-day like we went we talked earlier about the ego thing like i feel like players grow bigger egos if they're not held accountable earlier on like they can still have the confidence in themselves but i feel like confidence and ego is different to where they need a they need the reality checks they need the accountability early so then when they are getting big-headed or they are getting more than what they think they are that you can actually establish a relationship to where like you can bring them back down to earth and they won't get offended by it mm. so maturity yes yeah. yeah and i i would assume that i probably wasn't the most egotistical person maybe i was to some people i don't know but i feel like i did kind of try and hold myself before any of my teammates or coaches I felt like I kind of tried to hold myself accountable more than other other people did. So then I kind of understood if I was getting to that to that level of like all right, bring yourself back down, mm. then I kind of had my own reality checks in place before before anyone else did. Mm. Okay, I think we'll we'll have to wait and see <laughs> whether you'll turn into a grumpy old yeah. man and uh you know look back to this podcast it was like a um you know a, a foreshadowing of what's to come <laughs> for sure hopefully hopefully it's a while away but like you said yeah we'll have to see we'll have to see yeah but yeah um well on that note we can wrap up today's conversation i have so much 
to explore from from you, but uh, I've learned a lot from your wisdom, and I'm sure everyone listening to this as well. So, um, well, thank you, Jordan, and all the best to your um, basketball career and uh, your fatherhood. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me.